Perfect. So Psalm 23 is our text this morning. And how appropriate, as you are going through the book of Matthew, as your pastor is leading you through, that Matthew chapter 6, you're in verses 25 through 34, right? Last week. We didn't even plan that. <laughs> uh, we didn't plan the Battenfields talking so much about shepherding this morning in uh, Sunday school. But hey, we have the same spirit, right? One of the things I loved about being part of this body was how whatever the teachers were doing in Sunday school intertwined, intermingled with the music and with the sermon. And I think you called it the Holy Spirit wave, right? (laughs) Psalm 23, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May God bless his word. In America today, there are an estimated 40 million people who suffer from some form of anxiety, anxiety disorder. Anxiety disorders cost Americans about $42 billion every year. That's about a third of the $148 billion is designated for mental disorders. $42 billion a year because of anxiety. More than $22 billion of those that costs are associated with repeated use of uh, hospitals, doctor's visits. $22 billion for going to the hospital for some sort of issue that has arisen in a person's life that is showing itself physically. But yet it is a mental issue. There are only symptoms that are producing what the person is feeling. People with anxiety disorders are three to five times more likely to go to a doctor and six times more likely to be hospitalized than others without anxiety disorders. So we can fairly easily say that this is a major issue in America. These are American statistics. You know what the number one treatment for anxiety disorders are? It's called cognitive behavioral therapy. Not medication. Not medication. Cognitive behavioral therapy. 
The way cognitive behavioral therapy works is it focuses in on the thinking patterns and behaviors that are sustaining or triggering the anxiety in the individual. Focusing in on the thinking patterns and the behaviors that the individual is going through to help them through it. What does the Bible have to say about our mind? <laughs> so something about the battle being for the mind, right? As a follower of Christ, there is a battle, an unseen battle, sometimes showing itself in physical form in the body for your mind. That shows itself in many ways of stress, of a burden, of, of anxious feelings inside. Philippians 4, we all know this verse, has this to say about it. To be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your request be made to God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That's cognitive behavioral therapy. <laughs> Scripture already knows about these issues. It already speaks to them. The Lord has a formula for those of us who suffer from this disorder. And if 42 million Americans struggle with this, I, I, I can fairly safely say that there are some here today who struffle, struggle with some type of anxiety. I stand before you here as one who has gone through great anxiety, which led to depression. It is a real issue, not only in the life of Americans, but in the life of the church. People around us, friends, loved ones, I look at the list, <laughs> the prayer list. There's a lot of hard things going through this church. Hard things that can lead to anxious thoughts, stress, and burdens. So this morning, I want us to look at this passage of scripture maybe in a, in a different light that you've, that you've never seen it before. We, we all know Psalm 23. We typically hear it at at funerals to give comfort to families and as it should give comfort. But what I want us to see here this morning is what the Lord has to say regarding comfort to our anxious hearts. Comfort to our anxious hearts. He's going to show us that we need not worry amidst life circumstances, but because of who he is as our shepherd, we can find rest and comfort in that through his word and looking at his promises, and, and, and looking, at, looking at what he says he has done and will continue to do for those that are his sheep. So beginning in verse one, let's go through this. A Psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd. So we see a character quality here that David is trying to express regarding his Lord. Lord here is quite simply Yahweh. It is, it is the covenant-keeping name of God. This is the most intimate name that David could use to express to his Lord. Yahweh, the one who I know beyond a shadow of a doubt is my covenant-keeping God. This is an intimate expression of who he is. Those that truly know the Lord for who he is and are known by the Lord, this is his name. 
This is his name. The Lord is my shepherd. He uses the term shepherd here to describe his Lord. What does it mean to be a shepherd? Well, in David's context, we understand that David was a shepherd, right? He was a, he was a shepherd boy. We know that when he went out and uh, met the, the armies, as Saul was, was fighting against the Philistines, and he faced down Goliath, he, he gave a description in uh, 1 Samuel of what it means to be a shepherd. We'll look at that a little bit later, but we're talking about a man here who, when he says the Lord is his shepherd, he is speaking from experience. So we're going to glean here from a man who is describing the Lord in such a way that he knows what it means to be a shepherd. So within its Middle Eastern context, to be a shepherd is completely different than what it is here. Uh, A shepherd in California, completely different. Or a shepherd in Australia. Uh, if you go to Australia now, you can, you can watch the shepherds and how they manage their sheep. They do it by dogs nipping at the heels of the sheep and driving them where they want to go. That's completely foreign to a Middle Eastern context in, the, in David's time. Totally opposite. So get that picture out of your mind. That is not the way sheep are shepherded within the context of when this was written. So number one, a shepherd had to be physically strong. There was many dangers for the sheep that he was that uh, he would be leading them through to bring them to pasture, to bring them to water, whatever. He had to be physically strong to protect them. In our modern day, they could bring out a gun and shoot a coyote that was trying to kill a sheep. Not the case with the shepherd in this day. No guns. He had his utensils. We'll talk about them. But he had to be physically strong. He had to be mentally strong. A shepherd who was out in the wilds with the sheep and staying with them constantly and continually was first and foremost alone. There was nobody else around. It was typically him with his master's sheep by himself. And to be by yourself in long periods of time, how many of you know that it takes mental fortitude to make that happen? We are are a people of community. God has made us that way. And so in alone times, I know in my alone times, there's a lot of thoughts that go through my mind. Uh, I like having other people there to bounce those thoughts off of and, and, and enjoy each other's company. Well, for a shepherd, the majority of the time, he had to be a man who was solid in his mind because he was alone a lot. They were faced with daily difficult situations, these sheep. He had to be able to provide for them. Sheep are not all that easy to care for. <laughs> Forget about the sheep for a second and think about us as the sheep, right? We're not all that easy to care for. Same with here. They needed to be cared for daily, moment by moment, mentally, physically. This shepherd had to be a strong man who could care for them. They wander. They get stressed easy. They fall into holes. They go into thickets. Sheep are not easy to care for. They don't have a strong sense of danger when it's around them. They needed him to guard against those things. Sheep are very, very dependent upon their shepherd. At any moment, disaster could be right around the corner. He had to be ready. So when David says that the Lord is his shepherd, he is thinking about it from a perspective of, man, when I was in the field, I had to be vigilant. Vigilance is key for the shepherd. He had to be ready at any moment. So when he calls his Lord shepherd, he is a vigilant shepherd. He is ready. He is strong. He is able. He is prepared for whatever is before him. 
a description of what it was like for David in 1 Samuel 17 says this, but David said to Saul, this was as he was getting ready to, to face Goliath, David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. So David understands what it means to protect his sheep to the point where he, with his own hands, physically killed those that would try and harm his flock. Many things can be going through the shepherd's mind as he's thinking about caring for the flock. It could be total ruin for his master if he loses any number of those sheep. So much was on the line for the shepherd and how he cared for them. So David understands. He has firsthand knowledge of what it means to be a good shepherd. He was raised in it. He understands it. So David, in his understanding of what it means to have the Lord as his shepherd, how much confidence he could have in saying that regardless of what's going on, my shepherd is there. <laughs> David, in his circumstance, how does that transpose to us in our circumstance? David didn't live in full light of the scripture, did he? We have the entire counsel of God before us in our very hands. How much more confidence should we have in the shepherd than David had? How much more can we look back in what's written in scripture and how much God cared for all those even after David and say if he did that throughout time for his people, how much more should I be able to call him my shepherd as well? To trust in his care for me, to trust in his strength and ability for me and for you. Let's now look at the character quality that David describes the Lord with, the character qualities that arise out of being a shepherd. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. And then what does he say? He says, I shall not want. How are we to understand what it means to not want? This is a little bit, a little bit confusing in our culture. If I was to say, well, I don't want anything, it's like, well, no, I don't want a cheeseburger today. I don't have a, a want for this or for that. It's, it's not what he's saying here. God has literally given David everything that he needs. It is, a, it is a statement of resolve that he has no lack of anything. It is a statement that literally what it says in the, in the Hebrew language is he will never enter into a state where he lacks anything. That's what he's saying. Because the Lord is his shepherd, because the Lord is his provider, the one who cares for his every need, that he will never enter in to a position where he lacks. He has all that he needs. Now, I want you to think for a second about David's life. <laughs> Some of you may be already be reflecting on that. This is, this is a man who has had need, who has known hunger, who has lived in the wilderness and had a man chasing him with the purpose of killing him. Uh, this is a man who lived many years outside of his own people in isolation, wondering when the Lord would deliver him. Th this is a man who truly does understand lack. 
and I believe that he wrote this psalm subsequent to all of those difficult events in his life based on the maturity of the psalm that he has experienced these things, that he can say with absolute resolve, regardless of all those circumstances in my life, the the horrible sin that I have fallen into with with Bathsheba and and, and Absalom trying to take over my throne and on and on and on and on and on, regardless of all those things, I can say that the Lord is my shepherd and I will never enter into a state where I lack anything. This is his attitude. This is is David's attitude toward his shepherd. This is truly an amazing statement coming from him. If David, a man who has experienced those things in his life, perilous conditions, with family, with friends, turning against him, faithful, supposedly confidants, seeking to kill him, if he can say in those I can rest in my shepherd. How much more should we be able to? How much more should we be able to say, you are my shepherd, no matter what happens in this life, I know that I will never enter into a state of lacking. That is a promise that you can grab onto if he's your shepherd. If he's not, we have more to talk about, but if he's your shepherd, this is a promise for you. The question you should be asking yourself is who is shepherding your life? Is it the Lord? Heaven forbid, is it you? Is it me shepherding my own life? I think a lot of times I fall into that. Uh, I like to be the one who is making my own decisions, my own man. Am I allowing my shepherd to lead me in the way that he wants me to go? Or do I just dive in headlong for the cliff that's before me that I don't see? Who is shepherding your life? It is important that we understand this not lacking anything. This is not a, this is not a statement of, uh, I want a bigger house. I want a bigger boat and therefore I am lacking. <laughs> it's not that type of statement, it's not wants. This is, this is what's needful and appropriate. Uh, this is to say that the shepherd of the sheep knows what is needful and appropriate for you. It may be different for some of you, it may be different for each of us, but as the shepherd, being trustworthy, he knows what's needful and what's appropriate. Those are the things that we are to focus on, what's needful and what's appropriate. So what is needful and appropriate? Let's go on, verse two. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. So what is he talking about here? He's talking about physical needs, right? Makes me to lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters. These are physical needs of the sheep. Uh, You as a sheep, you as a person, have physical needs. Uh, You need provision for the day. If you don't eat and drink, you will die, right? You need to be provided for. With regard to the sheep, if sheep are not provided for on a daily basis, 
the green pasture that they need, the water that they need, they will perish. Now, for us, it's not that big a deal. We go to the faucet, we turn it on, right? <laughs> it's, it's there. We go to the refrigerator, we open it up, it's there. For them, it was completely different. For a sheep in this context, the way that the weather patterns and the uh, geology works in the, in the Middle Eastern context, there may be green grass one day, but it's gone the next. Hot desert wind blows in, it all withers, and it's no longer good for, good for food anymore. They need to move on. And so this, for, for a shepherd, he needs to know where to get the food. He needs to know where to get the water. These are the basic needs of the sheep. Green pastures, quiet waters. We talked about what it means to have green grass and how quick it can go away. But for the quiet waters for a sheep, if you bring it up to a river and it tries to drink, it will invariably fall in and drown. Water needed to be found where it was in a nice, quiet area. They get skittish real easy. Those of you that know some farming and ranching here, you understand the skittishness of sheep. They get fearful really easy. They need to have a quiet area that they can drink water from. That's what he's talking about. For us to be refreshed, <laughs> we don't want a fire hydrant. <laughs> I don't want a fire hydrant. Uh, I want to be refreshed in such a way that I'm, uh, I'm more comfortable. <laughs> but for a sheep, the fear that they have of, of the fast-moving water, they simply would not drink. He must find good water for them. He must find good grass for them. Needful and appropriate. <laughs> how often are, how often am I, how often are you truly grateful when you go to stick that fork up to your mouth? Truly grateful, no, knowing that it didn't, uh, necessarily come from the fruit of your labor, but rather that your bite that you're about to take came directly from the Lord. Gave the ability to work, of course. He, he commanded that you should work for what, you, uh, for what you get to eat. But how often are you grateful, truly grateful? That's why we give thanks at the beginning of the meal, right? That's because we're thanking the one who provided it. Every meal every meal, how often are you truly thankful for the meal that you're getting? I wonder how many of us are actually here today that have wondered where their next meal was gonna come from. Me, being a bum after high school and not working and living in a van on the street, uh, I had that question in my mind. I needed to do something for work. Um, but I, the Lord was nowhere near in the picture. How many of us have wondered where your next meal is going to come from? It's really hard for us to get into this picture of knowing that day after day, moment by moment, of relying upon the Lord for our very next meal. I think probably not too many of us here, if any, have experienced that. The true, genuine trust that your shepherd will provide that, no matter what. It's maybe even easier for us in America if you're, I mean, if you're really hungry, there's a lot of dumpsters behind restaurants <laughs> that waste tons of food. There's food there, right? Provision may look different for some than it does for others. 
I know that in our family, we could stop going to the grocery store for at least the next month and we would be just fine, maybe more than that. Some of the dry goods that we have in there, if you were to go into your pantry, how long could you go? Quite a while. In this context, moment by moment, day by day, the Lord had to provide, the shepherd had to provide. So our attitude, the Lord gave us an example of our attitude as Pastor Wayne preached here this last week of, of what it means to, uh, to rest in his provision, to, be, uh, to, to not be anxious, to, um, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these other things, food, shelter, clothing, what is needful and appropriate will be what? Added to you. But there's a first. <laughs> seek first the kingdom of God. What is, uh, what's the one that we spend the most time on? And you don't have to say which. I know which it is for me. I spend way more time on food, shelter, and clothing than I ever do for seeking the kingdom of God. And some of that is appropriate. You need to. You need to work. You need to work to provide. But how much of our worry and anxiety is wrapped up in those things? in the food, in the shelter, in the clothing. I listened to a missionary one time who was visibly in angst over the people that he was serving in Mexico. Uh, tormented in his prayer for the people. Are you anxious for the Lord's kingdom? Are you stressed over seeing his name glorified in your job, in the people that you work around? Does it worry you to see him lifted up? Not to the point of sin, but that that is your, that is your passion, that's your desire. And I'm not saying that we're all here evangelists, but just concerned for the glory of God in whatever you're doing. That's what he's saying. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Do what you need to do for all those other things and I'm gonna provide. But you have a purpose here. I left you here for my glory. Nothing else. He didn't leave us here for this gathering and worship even though we are supposed to because our gathering and worship in heaven is gonna be so much better, right? He would have just taken us home. It wasn't for the wonderful singing and the, and the music that we have. Certainly not because of me. Otherwise, he would have just taken us home. He left us here to bring him glory in this life. That's why you're still alive. That, that's, that's, that's why you're not in heaven right now worshiping. Is you were left here to bring him glory. And he is leading you. And we are to be following him as our chief shepherd, chief shepherd. Let's move along. Verse three, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his na namesake. The next way that David expresses here how the Lord's shepherding care for him, it's, it's in how he restores his soul. What does it mean to 
restore the soul. Well, in Dave's con- David's context, there was a lot of times where he needed to be restored in soul. He was, he was downtrodden. He was, he was feeling low. That's why we have so many of the Psalms that we do. He was struggling with sin. He was struggling with adversaries. He was, he was struggling with life. He was struggling with family that was trying to kill him. Just poor, poor in soul. Pushed down, beat down. And what David is saying here in this psalm is that the Lord, the shepherd of his soul, is the one who restores him. What it literally means is to to bring back vitality, not to be bouncing around like, oh, life is so good and happy as as you may be dying. No, he is saying that there is a a vitality, a, a life in the soul that says, no matter what is taking place in my life, I can have joy and peace knowing that my shepherd is leading me through it. That's what it means to be rejuvenated, to be revitalized, to be brought back to life again. When you look to the shepherd of your soul and say, he is enough. No matter what's going on. (laughs) And there's a lot going on. You can rest in him knowing that he will bring you the strength that you need. He'll bring you the strength that you need being weak in spirit, emotionally tired, stressed, anxiety. It can drain the soul of man to the point of deep, deep, dark, depressive state. If left unchecked, if left unrepented of. David experiences. We have, we have in other Psalms where he's talking about his, his bowels churning inside. This is, a, this is a man given description of physical things that are going on to his body where Anybody who is uh, in in any realm of biblical counseling or psychology will look at that text and say, that man is in depression. David knew exactly what it meant to be a man who was tormented by being emotionally drained, weak in spirit. And what he says here is we can have confidence today. You can have confidence that if this is your shepherd, the same shepherd that he has, he can, does, and will restore you, revitalize you when you need it most. When I was in my state of depression, it was, I didn't think I could go any further. I'm sure I probably could, but I was at the end, (laughs) literally at the end. And he restored me. He, He gave me new hope, revitalized my soul, rejuvenated me. That's what he's talking about. There are much, much things in life that will potentially cause us to feel like we're trapped, like everything is just closing in, getting tighter and tighter. Circumstances in your own life, maybe with children, maybe with your physical body, where it's just getting tighter and tighter and tighter. If he is your shepherd, he is walking you through it. He is... He's leading you. And when you need it most, he will bring back your vitality. He may not deliver you from what you're in. I, I, I can't, there's no way I could be a health wealth preacher. <laughs> Don't have those promises in scripture. But what we do have is that he will lead and he will never leave. the good shepherd. 
Isaiah 40, 11 says, like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather his lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. This is the type of shepherd that he is. He, he's not the shepherd that sends out the dogs to nip at our heels. He is the shepherd that gathers us up and walks with us through it. That's the type of shepherd he is. If he is yours and you are his, you can know for certain that this is the type of shepherd that he is. Let's move on. Next half of uh, verse three there. So first he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. For whose name? For his name's sake. For his name's sake. Within shepherding culture, the shepherd needed to know the right direction to travel. (laughs) There was a lot of things that wanted to take the life of the sheep. He needed to know the direction to go. Rocky cliffs, rocky terrain, uh, perils on every side, wild animals. The shepherd needed to know the right direction to go. And David is saying here with absolute confidence that he leads me in the right path. Does it feel like it's the right path sometimes? <laughs> oh man. No. It doesn't feel like it, but if you are walking with him, you are seeking him through his word, leaning upon him, you can know for certain that he is leading you down the right path, even if it hurts, even if there's sorrow, even if there's grief, he will always lead you in paths of righteousness, the right one, always the right one. Literally, this is, he is directing, he is steering as he's leading. It's kind of like when you're having a young child and you have a hold of their hand, you're moving through the crowds at, I don't know, Disneyland or something. You're steering them through. You're not letting go. You're looking forward. You know they're there because you're holding on to them. You know the right direction that you need to go to get to the exit. (laughs) That's where I'd be heading for. As he is leading us, he is holding on. He's not letting go. Now, there are a lot of things that are banging into you along the way. People from every side, struggles, difficulties, but he's got you. He's got you with his hand. He won't let go. That's what the picture is. Leading, guiding, directing, moving forward as he is gently leading you along. This is what he does day after day for his sheep. Is he your shepherd? Is he yours? Is he the only one that you lean on for direction and guidance? If he is, this is what he does for you every day. If you are leaning on him, this is what he does. So why does he do it? Why does he do it? Does he do it because we're awesome? Right? Everybody should be laughing inside. Does he do it because we're so great? What does he say? He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name. Make no mistake, Christian. You are special. (laughs) But he is zealous for his name. What he does in you is not primarily for you. 
What he does in you is primarily for his glory and for his name. Hold on to being called a child of God. It is a wonderful, wonderful thing to say that you are reconciled to the one who made you, that you are his child forever. But know that he is primarily doing the work in your life and in my life for his own glory. He is zealous for his name. It is his primary purpose. For us, the description is perfect in Isaiah 53, verse 6. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, right? That's, 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 our, that's our lot. That's, that's who we are as children of Adam. Each of us has gone astray. We each go our own way. But what did the Lord do? He caused all of our iniquity be on him, right? So that's us. So he does it for his namesake. That's why he does it. That's why he leads in paths of righteousness. That's why he doesn't abandon us and say that stupid sheep, I am done. (laughs) He doesn't do that because he is zealous for his name. And guess what? You are each called by his name. You have a new name in heaven that only the Father knows. (laughs) He has called each of you by name. He does not abandon, and it's for his own namesake. To abandon a Christian is for him to forsake himself. Who's in you? Is it not God himself? Is he not in each and every one of you? For God to abandon you would be to abandon himself. That's how much confidence you can have. That, that's how much confidence that you can say, with the Lord as your shepherd, with, with you as his, or with, uh, yeah, with you as his sheep, with you as his child, for him to abandon you would be to abandon himself. Is he gonna do that? Absolutely not. The Lord cannot deny himself. He cannot forsake himself. So if somebody asks you what, well, can God not do something? Yes. He can never abandon himself. He can never lie. And he will never, ever leave or forsake you. Another picture of uh, Israel, Ezekiel 36, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake. O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations. (laughs) In the midst of their sin, in the midst of them turning their backs on him, he says, it's not because of you I'm about to act. It's not because of you that I'm gonna raise up these dry bones. It's not because of you that I'm gonna put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my ways. It's because of my name that I'm gonna do it. It's because of my own zeal for my glory. That is the resolve of the shepherd that we have. We see in Ezekiel 36, the new covenant is it to come. Us as Gentile believers, some of you not Gentile believers in here, Mary's here, right? (laughs) I just drew a line, I'm sorry. (laughs) 
we benefit from this new covenant that he was about to enact. We have received a new spirit. He is zealous for his name that is in us. The Lord is guarding his name continually. I want you to write down just for your own notes to go and look at later. John 17, 11 through 12. See the zeal of the Lord for his name. John 17, 11 through 12. It is because of his great name that he acts. It is because of his great name that he leads us in the right path. And though this is hard to think about and and hard to really grasp, that difficult thing that is causing you anxiety and stress in your life, he is doing it for his own glory. (laughs) I don't know how to answer that other than that's what the word teaches. He is doing it for his own glory as he is conforming us into the image of his son. Okay, let's move on. Verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I put a little note on here. Protected during life's darkest hours. (laughs) I was trying to summarize what was being said and that's really what it is. It's not an expression of even though as if, okay, well, maybe if I'm in life's darkest hour, I don't have to fear evil. Unfortunately, we don't get that by. <laughs> it's not in the language at all. It's, it's a, when that time comes, and it will, <laughs> I don't have to fear evil. Uh, I don't have to fear any of the difficult things that are coming with it. I don't have to be afraid because he is with me. That's his rest, that's his confidence, that's his comfort. There's, there's no medication in here, there's no psychiatric help. It's just David resting in the fact that he is with him, that the Lord is with him. So when life's darkest hour comes, and it will, You may not have experienced it yet. You may be in the the blossom of your new life as a young person. You may be in the time of your life where the flower is starting to fade. And if you have not experienced the darkest valley, you will. It's a promise. We grow in the image and likeness of Christ through difficult things because his image and likeness was marred more than any man he experienced suffering and pain so that he could be our great high priest who sympathizes with what we're going to go through. So even in life's darkest hour, we don't have to fear evil. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to fear harm because he is with us. The great overcomer, the powerful shepherd, the one who provides for all of our needs, he is with us. How are we comforted? We are comforted by his strength. And in second half of verse four there, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Thank you very much.
what does it mean to have a rod and a staff? What does it mean for this time for David? What is he saying here? The rod and the staff are just simply implements of the shepherd. That's all they are. You got the shepherd's crook and you got this stick that kind of had a little nubbin on it, like kind of like a club, uh, essentially for protection. The club was for protection. Any wild animal come up, the shepherd would have his implement to kill them. <laughs> If a wolf or a coyote or a bear or whatever tried to come along to steal one of the sheep, that was his tool to protect them. So David is saying the the rod and the staff that you have as your tools, Lord, they comfort me during those hard times. The shepherd's crook, of course, is for, for leading the sheep along, for if they're out of line, drawing them back in. They're implements of the shepherd for protection, for comfort. It'd be a a gentle tap on the back. It's time to get going. The tools that you need, God has them. That's all he's saying here. The implements that are most needed in the sheep's life, in your life, and in my life, the Lord has them, and he knows how to use them. (laughs) He will care for you with what he has. For us specifically, as Christians, the word of God could be the crook in the club. (laughs) It does that, right? It is the crook in the club for us. It, it brings us back into the fold as it disciplines us with the club and uh, draws us closer to the Lord. It nudges us along to good works and holiness. It causes us to be sanctified. This is the implement that the Lord has. This is the tool that our shepherd has to, to move us forward, to comfort us, to care for us. One of David's implements, of course, was a sling, and he showed that he knew how to use it as he sunk a rock into the Philistine's head. David could say with confidence, as we can hear, that we will not fear. Fear is crippling, isn't it? Fear can grip you in such a way that your physical body is not functioning right. I've experienced it myself. Fear can cripple you. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Out of all the ability that this man of war, David, had, out of all the ability that he had in slaying the giant and subduing all the nations around him, he says, I'm not going to fear any of this because of him, because he's with me. The man who could handle essentially anything who could probably kill anyone on the planet at the time if he wanted to as a warrior, didn't have any confidence in that. He says, if I'm in my darkest hour, I'm not going to fear anything because he is with me. I can overcome anything because of him, not his own ability. The clear lesson for us is our shepherd knows the dangers that are there that are lurking around us, He knows the temptations that we have. Remember, he was tempted in every way that you were, yet without sin, right? So as we look into his word, we can know for a fact that the Lord Jesus has walked the same walk, and we can trust in him to carry us through. So let's look at him in uh, verse five, moving on. You prepare a table before me in the presence of, of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Even in the midst of the battle, the Lord's gonna provide. This is, all, this is all that he's saying here. In the midst of the battle, the Lord's gonna provide. 
You prepare a table before me. That is, a great banquet has been set. This isn't just like, okay, here's some meat and then get back after it. The Lord comes in and serves out a great banquet for David. That's what he's saying. That's what the language is clearly saying. He is laying it all out for him. Every imaginable fruit and fig you can think of and the the meats and the drinks, it's all there before him. But notice what he says he does. You prepare a table before me, what? In the presence of my enemies. It's not that God is showing off. That's in the midst of his battle. God says, okay, here, refresh you, strengthen you. Let me show you that I am still here providing for you. Enemies will still be there. <laughs> he doesn't take away the enemies and then say, okay, now let's, let me feed you in private. <laughs> let's, let's have this nice, comfortable, joyful gathering as your enemies are away. No, the, the enemies are there. They're in his presence but he spreads out a banquet before him to let him know that he still has him. That's what the shepherd does. He provides for you, and and I want you personally to know that you will most likely not have your enemy removed from you (laughs) as the Lord is providing for you. It will most likely still be there. Now, the Lord can heal, the Lord can deliver, he can do all those things abundantly, exceedingly, beyond anything that we can imagine. However, he's zealous for his name, and he's zealous for turning you into the image of Christ. So, rest assured that he will provide abundantly for you, but you may not see your enemy go away. (laughs) Whatever that enemy is, the physical ailment, the person at work, whatever it is, it may still be there, but know that he will provide abundantly for you. He will lavish his blessings upon you in the presence of your enemy. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And now some have taken this anointing head with oil thing that the Lord is anointing David as king. No, it has nothing to do with that. It's, it's a completely different term for it. All it is, he's simply saying is, uh, it's like a, it's a hospitality deal. In a cultural setting, uh, Jesus actually rebuked Peter, Simon Peter, when uh, Jesus came into his home. He said, Peter, you, you didn't even give me any oil for my head or, or to wash my feet. It's, it's a hospitality thing he's talking about. And so the refreshing of the oil is uh, uh, David here is in the midst of the battle. He's in the midst of the fighting. The Lord comes along and he says, let me refresh you. Just rest. In the midst of your battle, there will be times of resting, of reprieve, of comfort. That's the Lord and his anointing on you for that, to give you refreshment. To have your cup overflowing, it's just simply your, your cup is satiated is what it really is. It's, it's totally saturated. <laughs> There's no room for anything else. Even in the midst of the hard thing that you're experiencing, even in the midst of the circumstances of life, you can know that your cup is completely saturated to the point it's overflowing. You have everything you need to get through whatever it is, and not just to get through, but to walk through whatever it is that the shepherd is taking you through. 
do we see him refreshing him for strength, refreshing him in his vitality, bringing him back to life, anointing his head, comforting him, preparing him. I'm preparing this table before your enemies. Your enemies are still there, but eat, be comforted, be refreshed, because I'm sending you back out. I don't want to go back out sometimes. <laughs> I want to. I want to stay in the comfort, <laughs> in the arms of my shepherd as he's comforting me. I, I want to be home with him. So, with David, even in the middle of the battle, we can know that the Lord will give us times of refreshing, that He will do all that is right, no matter how it turns out. You follow your shepherd and leave the results to him. It's the best way to put it. You'll know how it's gonna end up. He knows. That's a great prayer to pray. You know. You know. I find myself repeating it. many times over in prayer because I'm just dumbfounded at what's going on in life. You know, Lord. Rest in that, him knowing. Lastly, we see the Lord as the faithful one. He is the faithful shepherd. He will not abandon in the midst of this. (laughs) He won't come to the end of his rope and say, I'm done. I'm not going to see this through. No, we see him here in verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy, or loving kindness, as other translations say, surely goodness and loving kindness shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is faithful to his own all the way to the end all the way to the end. I know in the midst of my own unfaithfulness and my lack of faith in refusing him and abandoning him, he never once does. He is faithful to his own. Even if I am faithless, he will remain faithful. That's what the good shepherd does. He has total resolve, the psalmist has total resolve that no matter what the circumstances are, in the end, he will be with the Lord forever. This literally what it is, is he will dwell in the presence of the Lord forever. This is, this is an eternal perspective. This is, a, this is a perspective of heaven that's not really shown all that much in the Old Testament. David knew what it meant for eternity that he would be in the presence of the Lord forever. Regardless of life circumstances, he knew that the goodness and mercy of the Lord would lead him there. Now this term, loving kindness, we won't go full on into it, but it really translates down to covenant faithfulness. Covenant faithfulness. Now David could be thinking about the Davidic covenant, that he will, he will never lack someone to sit upon his throne. He could be thinking about that and that he has a, a rest and an assurance in that promise. But what it boils down to is, is he is praising this attribute of God that he is a covenant-keeping God. 
He is a covenant-keeping God. You know, you're part of a covenant. (laughs) A covenant that God has made, ratified by the Lord Jesus, sealed by who? The spirit of promise. When that covenant took place at the cross, well, even before that, but when that covenant was ratified, was put into place by the Lord Jesus, you were sealed with the spirit of promise, an indelible mark upon your life who lives in you, that that covenant that he made, not only with the Lord Jesus Christ, but with you through faith in Christ, can never be ended. He is a covenant-keeping God. He will uphold his covenant with you, regardless of you. You will keep faith because of who you are all the way to the end. If you are in him, you will keep faith. You will persevere as his, but it is up to him to keep the covenant. He will keep it. He is a covenant-keeping God, loving kindness, I'd tell you the Hebrew term, but it wouldn't mean anything to you. <laughs> it's, a wonderful, it's a wonderful term, though. It's, it sounds glorious. This is the result of the loving care of the shepherd. He will lead his sheep all the way to the end. He will carry you all the way to the end. Well, it's time to conclude, and I want to leave you with a short section in the book of John where the Lord Jesus is described in a way that is very similar to our text today. Just listen to the Apostle John as he describes and the Lord is speaking, describing himself and who he is. This is the Lord Jesus' words. He says, I am the good shepherd The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. (laughs) That's us. We are the other sheep. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. They will listen to my voice. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Who is Jesus claiming to be here? Who who else can be this but God alone? The Jews knew very well what he was saying because after he just got through with this statement, what did he do? (laughs) Get this rock and tried to stone him. 
they said he was blaspheming. It was very clear he was claiming to be God. If Jesus is a good shepherd, then he is the good shepherd in Psalm 23. This is a, an absolute statement of his deity. The Jews were thinking in their mind, surely about Psalm 23 as he's describing himself as the good shepherd. This man is calling himself Yahweh. They knew exactly what he was claiming. It's the Lord Jesus who cares for the sheep that the Father has given him. It is the Lord Jesus that we may rest in as we know him for who he is and that he will never allow us to lack. It is because of him that we have food and shelter and clothing. It is him who revitalizes our soul. It is him who gives us strength. It is Christ who leads us in the way that we should go. He is the one who is directing us. And it is because of him who stood against the very hordes of hell that we can walk without fear. It is because of the victory at Calvary that we can move forward in the battle knowing who our leader is. He is overcome. And it is only because of his loving kindness and his mercy that we can have assurance of our eternal dwelling place. It is the Lord Jesus who is the good shepherd. He is worth following. He is worth following. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you have given and he has come as our good shepherd. Lord, may we take comfort knowing that he has us. That he has us. And may he and he alone receive glory, honor, and praise in the work that he is doing in us. Pray all these things for his glory and in his name. Amen.